Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 104, and I'm going to be talking to Connor Hunt, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Nanograph, an advanced battery material company. So welcome to the interview, Connor. Thank you, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Now, I want to start at the, you know, the, sort of the big picture and talk about battery technology and innovation and research and all of that. And then we're going to slowly work our way down to uh, to Nanograph because you guys are doing some exciting space, exciting work in the uh, uh, silicone anode space. And I, I have to tell you, so the last three or four years, I've done, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews with battery experts from around the world. And here's something that stands out for me. Maybe more than any other sector of the clean energy economy that I interview about, battery technology seems to be, the innovation seems to be so vibrant. There seems to be so much of it. it the technology is changing so quickly. New chemistries are being brought, brought uh, into the market, uh, improvements in the chemistries, Improvements in various battery components, like an anode, a cathode, you know, the, the uh, solid state uh, electrolyte, all of that stuff. The manufacturing is changing. Is my perception of that correct? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It's a really exciting time to be in this industry. Um, batteries have been around for a long time, but I think everybody knows about the transition in electric vehicles. There's also a transition of all sorts of other products and kind of this general electrification, electrify everything movement, that's driving a lot of it. And then I think the, the other part of it is here in North America, there's been a major push for innovation in this space and supporting companies who are innovating in that space. And so that's also about onshoring that supply chain to North America throughout the battery industry. And there's a, there's a lot of layers of that we can talk about, but that's the other reason I think you see so much excitement here about batteries. Well, I can tell you that there's a lot of excitement in Canada because Canada has a lot of the critical minerals and more than that. And we'll we'll get to that in a little, a little bit. But I do want to say that uh, one of the parts of the supply chain that I that I don't think we talk very much about, we talk about minerals, we talk about battery components. We don't talk about refining and processing. It's not very sexy. It's the key. It's the key thing that's missing in North America. China's got eighty percent of the capacity. So if you're going to mine lithium in in uh, in North America someplace, you got to send it to China to be processed and then 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 bring it back. And so it's my take on this is that part of the supply chain is basically up for grabs. Whichever whichever region. In North America, Mexico, United States, Canada, that can get its act together, it has competitive advantages and can attract the investment to get started in this space is going to have a huge uh, advantage going forward. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think people think um, broadly a little bit simplistically and maybe 
um, executives downstream and the government have thought a little, a little simplistically, uh, historically thinking about, okay, you have raw materials, you have end products, be that at the electric vehicle level, or even just at the battery cell level, there's a lot of, there's different components to a battery cell and those use materials that need to be refined and processed from the raw material stage, even before they're used to make an anode or a cathode. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's up for grabs. I think the really exciting thing is we've seen governments across North America, especially Canada and the US, starting to focus on those refining and processing steps. We're a step downstream of that at our company, but we're excited to see it because we want to be part of this push to onshore that full domestic or call it North American domestic supply chain. Now, there's a lot of innovation going on in the U.S. because I've interviewed, I mean, there are uh, battery chemistry, electrochemistry, uh, I guess, to be more accurate, electrochemistry researchers all over the U.S. Been there for years, uh, uh, California, Houston, of all places. I, I mean, and and so they're, I think, got, they have a leg up on Canada. We do have some very good researchers. Uh, uh, in the Dalhousie University in Halifax, for instance, there's some in Vancouver, but not nearly the extent to that uh, that uh, the U.S. has. Um, does that really would that really put Canada at a disadvantage? Uh, because it seems to me like the and we'll get into the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act uh, in more detail in a little bit. But it seems to me that the Biden administration was initially focused on the U.S., but now is taking more of a North American approach. And the idea is, if I read this the, the signals correctly, the idea is to have an integrated industry with supply chains across, at the very least, U.S. and Canada, and as much as possible, I suppose, down in, in Mexico. And and that's, it's like, you know, there's, there's what, maybe 450 million people in that in that market catchment? maybe a little bit more. And it's like North America is going to compete with Europe and it's going to compete with Asia Pacific. And we're going to onshore as much stuff as possible in North America as, uh, for a variety of reasons, including energy security. And uh, and we're going to friend shore as, uh, as uh, your uh, sec uh, treasury secretary has said and, and our finance minister has echoed. Uh, and... So is it really that big a deal that most of the innovation, you know, the, the basic electrochemical research is in the U.S., but maybe not in Canada? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is in the U.S. That's typical for a lot of different industries. There's there's a strong, you know, innovation sectors across the U.S. I do think Canada has the leading battery expert in North America, if not the world, and Jeff Don at Dalhousie University, like you mentioned. So I, I would not sleep on Canada's uh, you know, resume in that department. I, I think he's at the bleeding edge of what's happening in this industry. But I do think certainly in terms of, you know, there's great Canadian companies in this space, but there are a lot of American companies in this space as well. And I think it is the opportunities are across those countries. And to the extent that we cannot be competing across those, we've been really encouraged by the attitude, like you talked about, within government from Canada and the U.S. to, to kind of friendshore, like you say, and share those resources. The U.S. is not going to become, you know, have a wealth of natural resources that Canada has. 
Canada probably isn't going to support all of the processing and manufacturing to support this whole North American industry. And th there's really no reason for those two companies to compete in this space. I think there's also impressive companies already doing it, this stuff or downstream in both countries. And it's really more about and anything you see segmenting this market is like you said, Asia versus Europe versus North America. And that's also just a, a supply chain security standpoint, I think, as well for critical industries. You know, we have a fantastic relationship with Canada, other countries we do have great relationships with, but batteries are so mission critical to so many different products and industries that onshoring that to, you know, the friendliest nations as well that are close to home, less likely to have supply shocks that affect us, all benefits the U.S. Now, I started out talking about clean battery tech, and, and I want to circle back to that because there, uh, like I do, I'm not a, uh, I don't specialize in reporting about battery technology, but we do a fair amount of it. And, and I'm, and I'm overwhelmed sometimes by the amount of the different chemistries, the different, you know, what, what the innovations that are going on in some of the different components. Can you maybe give me a short list? And for our listeners who may, who aren't, you know, uh, battery nerds, give us a short list of the, the, the up and coming chemistries and some of the key innovations uh, in future batteries, you know, like solid state, for instance, and silicon anodes, that kind of stuff. Sure, absolutely. And, and I know we're getting to nanograph. So I'll, I'll just say we're, we're a silicon anode manufacturer, like you said, I think you can think about batteries across a couple different levels. So cathode is what gets talked about the most and has driven the most innovation in this industry over the last 20 years, I would say. So you have your traditional nickel-based cathodes, that's NCA and NMC. Um, those are very similar, high energy density cells, high performance, a little bit higher cost. LFP continues to get more and more traction. It was traditionally thought that LFP, because it's lower energy density, it's lower driving range wouldn't be a great fit for electric vehicles. That's really shifted in the last couple of years for a lot of models. Um, you hear a lot of talk about that on the cathode side. And I think it's a situation where all, all of those chemistries have won and will continue to win for different use cases. On the anode side, traditional anodes are entirely made of graphite. And really the only thing innovative happening in anodes is silicon anodes like you're talking about. And there's a number of companies, Nanograph included, going after this space with different types of silicon, different architectures, but fundamentally silicon, silicon stores 10X the energy that graphite stores. We've talked more about that. That's where the innovation is there. And then there's solid state, like you talk about, which is farther down the road. I think it's 10 years away, eight to 10 years away at the earliest. And it's also a bit of a transition to how you get to solid state. And there are, there are solid state formulations that would not have an anode or wouldn't have any use for silicon anode technology. And there's other solid state formulations that would. So that in its own right is, is a complicated space to talk about. But I think those are probably the areas of innovation that you see primarily driving battery performance improvements. Now, I the um, the speed at which these are happening, uh, we mentioned that off the top, 
And I was reading a, a press release a couple of months ago from uh, CATL, so the big Chinese uh, battery manufacturer. And they had reached uh, a deal with a company called Zeker, Z-E-E-K-R. Uh, it is, uh, it's a startup, but it's a startup owned by Geely. I think that's the, the Chinese company, which is number seven in Chinese EV manufacturer. So it's, it's a, a pretty fair sized company. So this is, anyway, the upshot of, of what I'm getting at is, is that it's a thousand kilometer battery. And it's going into commercial production. It'll be in a in a car sometime uh, early in 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 twenty twenty three, and so we've been thinking about. And of course, we we think in kilometers, not miles. But uh, I'll try to translate where I can. So the the average now is kind of in the four to five hundred kilometer range, which is you know three hundred miles at the top end, maybe two hundred and fifty miles at the bottom end. If we double that. And suddenly it's a it's a thousand kilometers and 600, 600 miles. To me, that's a game changer, because as a as a car owner, if I'm in thirty below weather, and trust me, when you get up in the Canadian prairies, thirty below is quite common in the wintertime. So I know I'm going to lose a bunch of range because of the cold. So that's important. I, I'd like to have that extra capacity, or if I'm driving through the mountains. You know, which is if you live in British Columbia and you want to go east, that's you're going to have to go over the Rocky Mountains. And so and now I know I'm going to use more more energy having to go up and down those those mountains. So I'd much rather have a thousand kilometers than 500 kilometers. Uh, and it seems like is this is this a one off? Is this unusual or is really are we getting to a thousand kilometer range fairly quickly? I think in higher energy density cells, certainly for premium vehicles, you're going to see those types of numbers start to pop up more and more. It does fly in the face of the shift towards LFP cells. And I think what you're going to start to see is a stratification of the market, right? So you're going to see certain vehicles using high performance batteries that are going to be able to hit those higher numbers and continue pushing that boundary. Right. Are we sorry, it froze for a second, but I think you're going to see it continue pushing that boundary. And then you're going to see a shift towards lower priced vehicles with less range. And you've seen Tesla move towards this for some options with LFP, a lot of other battery manufacturers. I think you're also going to see an increase in the lower end of that range for cheaper vehicles. And that's particularly, you know, families with a second vehicle. That's a great use case for you don't need to be driving that 300 miles or, you know, speaking in kilometers, 500 kilometers, a thousand kilometers. That's all the data is 90 plus 95% of trips and, and up do not require that kind of range. So I think that's what you're really going to see is that stratification of the market, but you are going to continue to see those higher numbers as, as companies innovate. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, so my wife and I are both work in the company. Uh, Joanne is our videographer and editor and designer, but we often go out on work shoots together. You know, shoot video for to do two different stories. And so, uh, but we live in a town of you know city of ten thousand, fifteen thousand, and we live on an island, so we're not going you know long distances often. If we had a, a vehicle that was kind of a basic car. You know, basic EV went 200, 200 kilometers on a charge. We would we would be able to drive down, you know, forty kilometers to the Nanaimo, get our groceries, and come back. 
and tootle around town, run, run our errands, and we wouldn't have to ever charge up during the day. But it would be nice to have something a little more comfortable for long distance travel because we might travel, you know, a thousand kilometers and go to Calgary and shoot video for there or maybe even to Saskatchewan, another seven or eight hundred kilometers. And or we might go on vacation and go down, go down to, you know, your beautiful West Coast, you know, go hang out in California for a while. We'd like to do that Absolutely. with you know, and drive that. And it and and so if we had a cheap, basic, low range car. And then a little better car with more comfortable than a thousand kilometers range for us, that would be perfect. And I think that would fit a lot of two, two car families. Absolutely. And I think this is what you see across all markets as they commercialize products and expand, you get a, an influx of companies at the start claiming that they're going after the whole market and they have a solution for every customer and then that does not tend to be the case in, in any industry, certainly consumer-facing industries. And then you see that stratification and specialization and firms targeting areas of the market to say, if we focus on this, we, we can play here and win. And you're going to continue to see that. And I think it really is going to be driven, like you talk about, by is this the family's first car or second car? Is it a family that lives in an urban environment or a rural environment? Um, I think exactly like you said, you're, you're going to continue to see that and see consumers get smarter in this space as well. well. Let's talk about the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, $369 billion. I see it as the uh, Biden administration basically declaring uh, economic war on China. Uh, because you remember in 2020, Biden said um, he acknowledged that the U.S. Uh, was losing the clean energy race to China. And he pledged that by 2030, the U.S. would be back in be number one. And so I, I kind of view the act within that frame. From your point of view, as somebody who would be, you know, looking to take advantage of credits and, and funding and so on, what's your take on that, uh, on the IRA? Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all that it's, uh, you know, it's a major push. I think it's specifically designed to counter China's influence and, and the battery industry, as much as anything, is, is a great example of that. You talked about the numbers at the start about the percentage of processing that's done in China. It's almost all of it. Almost all graphite comes from China as well. So even different raw materials. I think the IRA is a great effort to, to push against that. And I know you, know you mentioned we may talk about electric vehicles, the, the highest publicized aspect of that is the $7,500 tax credit, but there's a push within that at two levels. And it's one, it's been much talked about that, you know, a certain percentage, a majority of that processing and raw materials through all the supplier companies needs to be domestic to qualify for that. And then there's also support for companies who are upstream of the electric vehicle level. And that's the other way that I think you talk about it really as a push against China and a holistic push in this industry against China's influence and to onshore a, a full battery supply chain. Well, let's talk about uh, non-electric vehicle battery applications. And then we'll get, and just very quickly though, because then I want to get to uh, uh, Nanograph. Uh, um it seems to me that we're seeing a lot of non-lithium ion uh, battery storage applications come in at utility scale. And 
where do you see utility scale markets for lithium ion going? Uh, is that something they're going to be uh, sort of restricted to the uh, short duration market and and that's where they're going to, that's the only place we're going to see them? Yeah, so I actually used to work for a company called Key Capture Energy that's one of the leaders in the utility scale energy storage market, really one of the pioneers in that space over the last five, six years. And what we were looking at there constantly is they buy typical lithium ion in that space, generally four hour duration. Longer duration has gotten a ton of press like you talked about. I think the challenges that longer duration has is one, it's a market problem right? So markets are not set up. These are, you know, even in deregulated markets, they're still pretty regulated. And there's still a lot of rules about how you participate, how the market rules work, how you get compensated. You can't get compensated on those additional hours of value unless there's a market structure set up to do that. And I think you've also seen some, you know, a lot of parties come out with 10 hour, 12 hour batteries, seeing some come out saying they're doing 50 or 100. What's the marginal value on the 99th hour of production from that battery? Are they being compensated for that in a way that makes it worth it to build the battery in that way? Right now, they're not. I think those companies are trying to get ahead of potential market changes, but you're really going to have to see market changes to make that work. And until then, it's going to be the typical durations that you've seen to date. Well, let's talk about Nanograph. Um... Give me a, a brief overview of the company and what it is that, uh, you know, what what's your innovation? Yeah, absolutely. Nanograph is a silicon anode manufacturer. So silicon, again, is a material that goes on the anode side that stores 10x the energy capacity or energy density of graphite, which is the traditional anode solution. And what silicon can do and what our material does is we're able to blend it in as a mix with that graphite. We're not the first ones to do that. There's most commercial batteries today have a five to 8% blend of, blend of silicon in the anode. What we're able to do is push that up to 20, up to 30, and in the future, even more silicon blended into the graphite in the anode. And for every percentage increase there, you're storing 10x the energy versus the graphite. And that fundamentally energy density is what drives battery capacity. So we're driving basically longer lasting batteries with that innovation. So it, it, for every uh, percent that it goes up, 10x, but what does that mean to the overall energy density? You know, so if you're if you're sitting at 500 kilometers of range because of X energy density, and you add some of your your silicon oxide to to an anode, uh, where where are we getting up to? 525 kilometers, 550. What does it do for it? Yeah, we typically versus a graphite only solution at a 20 percent blend of our material. We're about a 29, 30% improvement in energy density. And we're pushing that boundary even higher. We're, we're blending even more of it into the anode. But against traditional, you know, five to 8% blends that you see in the market, we're 15 to 25% more energy density and, and ultimately capacity in the battery. Well, still, that's pretty significant. And let's say it's 20%. And you've got uh, 500 kilometers, an extra 100 kilometers is nothing to sneeze at. Now, That's does, exactly right. 
does does using your uh, product uh, increase the cost of the battery? It does today because of the scale we're at. When we get to a thousand tons of manufacturing, we'll be cheaper on a dollar per kilowatt hour basis than incumbent graphite solutions. So we will still graphite is a, a massive industry. It's it's very cheap to make on a per kilogram basis per kilogram of material we will be more expensive, but for the extra energy that you're getting in the battery will be a cheaper solution for how long the battery lasts. Now you're uh, just, uh, you were awarded a contract from the US government to build a plant, which I think uh, is gonna produce 35 tons a year. That's so what, exactly right. When will that be up and going and when will you get to, to the scale that you, you know, where you're really competitive? Yeah, we'll be up and running in that new facility in the middle of 2023. It's under construction right now. We're we're making great progress in there. Um, the next scale up for us would be to go to that thousand ton manufacturing scale. And that's something we'd target getting to 20, end of 2024, early 2025 is the target for us. We have a great solution right now for premium consumer products. And when we get to a thousand ton manufacturing scale, that's when we would really look to move into electric vehicles. Gotcha. Connor, uh, thank you very much for this. It's been very enlightening and uh, good luck with your new factory and with your expansion plans. Absolutely. Great talking to you, Markham. Mm -hmm.